You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. One of my favorite songs. Thank you, Miss Stephanie. That was wonderful. And uh, hope you were thinking of the words to that song as where he, she was singing about the Lord Jesus Christ and and how words cannot really describe how wonderful he is. You know, we, we, we try, we use the best words we can, but then we also use those same words, oh, that's wonderful, that's amazing, that's awe-inspiring. We use those for random things, you know, sports and food and also things like that, but we're talking about God. He should have his own class of words. He's just, he's so wonderful to us. Luke chapter number 15. I want to, as you're getting there, I want to, give a plug for my new Sunday night series that I'm starting tonight, and uh, it's entitled Connecting with God, and uh, for the next four weeks, I want to just take the month of June and talk about, you know, sometimes as Christians, we can feel like, uh, you know, I go to church, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, I'm trying to do right, but I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel connected to God, maybe like you once did, or maybe like you want to be. I know our feelings betray us at times, you know, it's not always true, but uh, you know, how can we make sure that that connection with God is what it ought to be? I mean, we want to have that connection. Each of us, we, 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 we yearn for that in our hearts. So how can we do that? And so I'm going to be talking about tonight uh, the topic of when God is silent. I'll be speaking on that tonight. Next week we'll be doing about, talking about how to approach God, how to approach our prayer time or our time with God. After that, we're going to do about uh, where to connect with God. How can we connect to God through different places even? And then also at the very end, the last one will be finding what works. And uh, just giving you a bunch of different tips and, or, or, or things that you can try in your own time with God to help you feel like you're more connected. But I, I hope that, uh, I really think it's in a, a very important series, and I hope that you'll, if you can't make it tonight, well, first of all, make it tonight. But if you can't, then uh, I would say, I mean, if you just absolutely can't, then uh, catch it online, because I think it will be a help to you. And I have faced this in my life, where there's times where I feel like I could almost touch heaven, where I feel like, man, uh, you know, God is so real, and God is so close, and, 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 you know, I feel like every prayer, you know, is just being answered, or, or that God hears it. I feel very close to the Lord, and then I'll go through seasons, where I'm like, God, are you even listening? Are you there? God, where are you? You know, I think everybody does. And so how do you handle that, and what do you do? Is it our fault? What, what, what do we do? So we're going to be addressing things like that, and I hope that you'll uh, tune into that. And then if you have any questions, put them in the question box. And if you think, hey, I'm not going to be there next week, but you know what? The church needs to hear the answer to this question. You know, put it in there anyway. The questions I'm getting in there, I'm pretty sure that 90% of them have been from teenagers. And because uh, they're dumb questions. I mean, just real. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, there are some good questions in there. And then, then there are questions like what my shoe size is and all that kind of stuff. These guys think they're hilarious down here. And, uh, but uh, anyway, you can, you can do that if you want. But I look forward to hopefully answering some questions. Luke chapter 15, we're dealing with three parables this morning. And uh, one of these parables is the prodigal son. <clears throat> which I will be actually taking another week to cover uh, in its entirety next week. But uh, we're going to address in, in this uh, section of Scripture, Matthew, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 15, what, is the, what are these parables about? We're going to find 
three parables. And in case you don't remember or you're new, we have a lot of new folks here. We have uh, Miss Jen's family with us, mom, sister, aunt, and uncle. Glad that you're here today. Uh, we had a great ladies' activity yesterday. I heard Brother Michael Brother Dahar were talking about it. And, uh, man, that just went really well. I got to come in and say hi to everybody. And uh, so thankful for those who are able to show up for that. But uh, we're looking today at, at three parables. A parable is... Really, it's an analogy, it's, it's kind of an analogy, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's a, it's a tool that Jesus used to relate to people heavenly truths. It, it was more about giving the general feeling, attitude, uh, not just the head knowledge, but really the heart knowledge of, of how God operates and how heaven and, and operates and how the kingdom of God, those of us that are saved in the spiritual realm, uh, uh, how those things operate on earth today. So he's going to give three parables today. <clears throat> and the parables are the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Now, uh, we are tempted in these parables to think when we get to the last parable, the prodigal son parable, which is one of the most famous parables in all the Bible, we're tempted to take that by itself and to say that, oh, this parable is about the lost son. No, it's not. The prodigal son parable is not about the prodigal son. And so I want to show you why we know that. And in fact, we're going to see that these three parables are teaching one truth. Now, it's very important as we look at this scripture that we see why is Jesus going to give us these parables. So let's look at the parables. Let's look at uh, chapter 15 of Luke, verse number 3. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, a lot of people in those days were shepherds, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine of the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? He said, of course, all of you would do that. And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he cooketh it and maketh lamb chops. No, 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 sorry. That's, <clears throat> sorry, that's not the Bible there. I, I'm just hungry. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Verse 8. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house, and seek diligently till she find it? And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together and say, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. She didn't post it online. She said, Hey, come over and rejoice with me. This great thing just happened. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy. There was joy in verse 7. There is joy in heaven in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repented. In fact, it says in verse 7, there shall be joy in heaven. Here it says there is joy in heaven. And with the prodigal, it says there was joy. And so it's past, present, and future. There's always rejoicing in heaven. There's just something to rejoice about when you're with God and people are getting saved. So uh, I won't take time to read the entire parable of the lost son. We call it the prodigal son. But the story goes... There's two sons, and the younger son says, Father, give me my inheritance. What you stored for me, what is due to me. He takes it, and he goes into the world, and he wastes it all on riotous living. He joins himself with a citizen of that country, which is a picture of the devil. We'll talk about all this next week. And uh, wastes it all. He's eating pig food. He's lost all of his money. He's wasted it all. And he says, man, didn't I have it better when I was back with my dad? 
And so he says, I'm going to go back and just beg my way back into the house. I'll tell my dad, look, I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. I will just be a servant for you. And he goes back, and his father is on the porch waiting for him. And his father runs out and meets him and hugs him and says, hey, kill the fatted calf. Hey, you know, let's put the robe on him. Let's put the ring on him. My son was dead. He's alive. He was lost, and he's found. He went out, but he's back again. And so there's rejoicing. But But the problem is this. The older brother... In that story, the older brother is like, basically says to his dad, I didn't leave you. I was here the whole time. You didn't kill the fatted calf for me. You you, you know, the the, the big plump uh, uh, lamb that was ready to be eaten. You know, you didn't do that for me. You You didn't give me the ring. You didn't give me the clothes. And the father said, you've been with me the whole time. That's your reward, that you're with me. You have had everything I have. It all belongs to you. So what is Jesus trying to teach in these three parables? A lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. Well, I'm going to tell you that the first two verses that we skipped over in this passage are the most important. Because that's why Jesus is telling the parables. So let's look, if you would, at verses number 1 and 2 of Luke chapter 15. We'll pray, we'll jump in. I know we've got the Lord's Supper, so we're going to get moving here. Verse 1 and 2. Then drew near unto him, unto Jesus, all the publicans and sinners... For to hear him. <clears throat> now, what's a publican and sinner? A publican is, a, we've learned this before, it's a tax collector. Now, here's the thing in the system they were in, there was two governments there was the Jewish government of the people that they had, but then there was the Roman government, which were the oppressors. They came in and took over. And so, what would happen is Rome would be charging taxes. The tax collectors were Jewish. They would go to Rome and say, hey, they they would say, I would like to have the job of being a tax collector. Sometimes they would even pay for it to have the job of tax collector. And so they would pay Rome, and then they would go to their own people and overcharge them. So can you see how tax collectors were hated by everybody? Everybody hated tax collectors. They're thinking, you, you, are, you are taxing and, and, and extracting usury on your own people. That's why when Jesus went to Matthew, that was a big deal. Matthew was a tax collector. And that's why these, these Pharisees are looking and saying, man, look at these tax collectors that Jesus is hanging around with. And these sinners. What was a sinner? Well, we're all sinners, right? But what does it mean that they were a sinner here? It means non-religious people. The Pharisees were the religious people of the day. They thought, you know, they were the, the uh, I, don't, I don't know, they thought they were the upper echelon of humanity. And they looked down on everybody else because they said, you're not as holy as us, but especially not these sinners who don't even go to church. Look at verse 2. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, this man, Jesus, receiveth or welcomes sinners and eateth with them. How dare he? You ever go out to eat with a sinner? You're going to go out to eat with one today. Look in the mirror. We're not, I mean, I I know we're religious people, but, but the spirit, what is, why is Jesus telling these three parables? Here's why. Because of the spirit of the Pharisees. The spirit of the Pharisees. Let's pray together. Father, bless, I pray, these next few moments we have together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The Pharisees were calling Christ's character into question because of who he hung out with. Because of who, not that he hung out with as friends, but as who he was trying to help. And they said, look, we know this Jesus, he can't be the Messiah because he's trying to help these people. 
What? That's exactly what he was going to do. But they said, no, 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 if, if he was the Messiah, he would be like us, like the Pharisees that are making all these ridiculous rules. He wouldn't be helping the lowly people. They completely did not understand, did they? And so he, they are judging him based upon the fact that he's trying to help people. I remember years ago hearing a story about a pastor who... Um, was running buses into the neighborhood to pick up boys and girls from, from it, was a, it was a big city, it was a rough area, and they were running buses. And they had a deacon in that church who was a very wealthy man. The deacon in that church was a, was a pillar of the community. I mean, he was well known, he owned like the bank, I mean, all of this stuff. And that deacon came to the pastor and said, Pastor, I, I think we need to stop running these buses. The pastor said, Why? And he said, you know, these kids are loud and obnoxious. And he said, okay. And then what, and he said, you know, I think about D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was, was pulling, you know, because he said, well, well, in the past, they didn't run buses in the Bible. Like, D.L. Moody didn't run buses. And the pastor said, D.L. Moody ran horse-drawn carriages to pick up people. And he said, well, these buses are leaking all over the parking lot. And the pastor said, well, I wonder what leaked all over Moody's parking lot with the horse-drawn carriages. Well, these kids, he, he said, listen, here it is. If these kids stay running crazy through here, I go. And the pastor said, then you go. The kids stay. Why? Because what is our job here? Is it to reach the Pharisees or to reach the sinners or to reach the people that need it? Is it to reach the 99 who, who don't think they need any repentance? Or is it to reach the one who says, I know I need it? Well, I think we know what Jesus did because he did it by example. So we're addressing today the attitude of the Pharisees. In each of these parables, there was rejoicing at the end. When the prodigal son comes home, it's the elder brother who's not rejoicing. Who does the elder brother represent? The Pharisees. The Pharisees, that's who Jesus told the story for. If you want to boil down the parables into four words, it's this, lose Seek, find, rejoice. Lose, seek, find, rejoice. That's what happens in each parable. It, you know, and, and in the first parable, think about it, there's a hundred sheep, one is lost. That's only one percent. In the next parable, there's ten coins and only one is lost. That's ten percent. In the third parable, there's only two sons, one is lost. That's fifty percent. It progresses in value, goes from sheep to uh, really which were not viewed in a, in a great light, and then to lost coins, which were important in that day, of course, and then to sons. And, and it was all saying, and I'll get to in a minute what this is talking about, but as you read these parables, sometimes I think we can get bogged down in who is the lost people? Is it lost as in they don't know Christ, or is it lost as in they're backslidden? The prodigal, was he back? And I think there's arguments for both, where you could say, yes, it's talking about lost people, or you could say, yes, it's talking about backslidden people because here's the point of the story the point of the story is Jesus goes after the lost no matter if they're saved or if they're in his family and they're away from him Jesus is seeking people Jesus is seeking people though you cannot lose your salvation you can get further away from God and if today you feel like well I'm further away from God than I used to be God is seeking you and if you feel like today, well, I don't even know Jesus Christ is my Savior. If I were to die today, I don't even know I'd go to heaven. I want to say Jesus is seeking you. He's trying to bring you into the family. If you're away from the family, he's trying to bring you back to the family. So he's seeking the lost, but he's addressing in the parables the attitude, the spirit of the Pharisees. So I want to just, for a brief few moments today, give you some thoughts on how can we, 
How can we avoid the spirit of the Pharisees? How can we avoid the spirit of the Pharisees? Now, I will say that each of us are hypocrites in our own way. We all believe we should do certain things and we don't do them. We all believe that we shouldn't do certain things and then we do them. You know, we, we're all to a degree hypocrites, but how do we keep from, uh, uh, avoid having the spirit of these Pharisees that we see here? Number one, I want to say this. If we're going to avoid the spirit of the Pharisees, we need to have respect for the lost ones. Respect the lost ones. Now, I don't mean by that that we need to admire them as, hey, there's this person away from God. I'm going to revere them. But I mean to consider them. Because here's the problem what the Pharisees did. When I'm talking about respect the lost ones, what I mean is this. Don't look down on others for their lost condition. Don't look down on other people because they're lost condition. If people knew they were lost, and if people knew they were on their way to hell, they would want a savior. They wouldn't want to be lost. The people that are away from God, they're not happy. They're not thrilled that, hey, I'm saved, I'm away from God. No, they're miserable. But let's not look down upon them because they're lost condition. Sometimes we expect unsaved people to act like saved people. And they're not going to do that. Unsaved people will not act like saved people, not until they get saved. Sometimes we can look down on people, and what I mean by backslidden is you were close to God at some point, but you, you slid back towards being more a, a, away from God, more like the world. You've gone back to just doing your own thing instead of being where God wants to be. We all know we've been there, but sometimes we can look down upon those people and judge them. Well, they used to be in church, but look at them now. You know what? They're going to get judged. God's going to show them something. Yeah, but he's also seeking them with mercy. And if God shows mercy to you and you want mercy, then you better be thankful God's showing mercy to other people too. We see people come back to church and we have people that say things like, wow, I haven't seen you around here in years. Uh, uh, look what the cat dragged. What does, that, what does that do? Besides set yourself up as a Pharisee, because what you're really saying is, you should be ashamed you haven't been in church like I have been. Because I'm so amazing, I didn't leave church. Pharisee. That is the spirit of a Pharisee. It shouldn't be when people come back, where have you been? It should be, we're so glad you're here. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But uh, our, our homeless ministry, we started in our church. I tell you, I, I really believe that that homeless ministry in our church has changed the way that people are involved, even myself, to change the way we view people. Oftentimes, we can look at people on the street and think they're all the same. They all got there the same way. They all, you know, have the same issues. They all have the same problems. But no, there's all, everybody has a story. Everybody has a soul. I, I, my wife showed me a, a picture, and I, uh, she told me about a picture, so I recreated it. We have a picture. Let me show you. Uh, if you'll flip the next slide there. Uh, a, a person's story. It's a big thing. What we know about everybody's story is a very small thing. We don't know everything. Everybody, look, I don't know your whole story. You don't know my whole story. When we look at somebody uh, uh, living on the street that's going through difficulty, we don't know their whole story. We don't know how they got there. But if we have the spirit of a Pharisee, we'll say, I know exactly how you got here. It's your own fault. You should pick yourselves up by your bootstraps. You should get a job. You should do. Why don't you help them? Instead of having the spirit of, I'm better than you. Hey, excuse me. I'm better than you. That's really what we say sometimes. We don't know. 
everybody's story. We look at people, why do they act that way? They've got a story. When one of the flock strays, when, when a family member strays, when people are lost, there should be sadness. There should be, there should be supplication, prayer. There should be searching, not judging. Now look, there is a right kind of judgment. There's a judgment that says, I'm going to look at this person's life and say, okay, I'm going to learn from that and not live that way. But there's a judgment that says, I'm going to look at your life and say I'm better than you. That's wrong. That's Pharisee judgment. So the first thing we see here, by the way, the Bible says, wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. I'm better than you. You're probably going to fall and be just like that person. So what is the spirit of a Pharisee? It's going to, I'm going to look down on you because of your lost condition. Let's not do that. Secondly, how do we avoid the spirit of a Pharisee? Not only respect the lost, but can I say receive the lost ones? Receive the lost ones. Uh, look what it says here in verse 2. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners. He welcomes sinners. He welcomes unchurched people to him. He welcomes people that don't, uh, uh, you know, uh, abide by all of our tradition and laws. He welcomes them. Can I say, people are welcome in our church. Who are we here to help? If we didn't help sinners, there wouldn't be anybody in church. we got to welcome, receive them, be willing to eat with the lost. Be, be willing to engage in conversation. Be willing to help people that are not exactly like you. The Pharisees were saying, this man is welcoming sinners and eating with them. Unbelievable. Well, where were the Pharisees? Who were they helping? They were helping themselves. They were helping their image. You know, sometimes we abuse scripture and how we treat people. We, we have respect of persons, and we treat certain people certain ways because we think they can do something for us. That's wrong. That's the spirit of the Pharisees. We are not supposed to, uh, you know, sometimes we think, well, we're not supposed to have fellowship with unsaved or backslidden people. We're supposed to be the light and salt of the world. If people can't talk to us, if we don't talk to people, if we don't go where they are and help them, who's going to? We have to receive them. We have to be kind. We have to reach out. We have to be willing to let people know that God loves them and bring them to God. For many years, my wife and I are almost, it'll be uh, next month, it'll be 17 years that my wife and I have been here at this church. 17 years, that's a long time. Anyway, I'm sick of some of you. But uh, No, I'm kidding. You're sick of me. I know that's the truth. But, uh, but uh, uh, for 17 years, you know, all the, thousands of teenagers have come through the teen department. And I tell you, every time a teenager comes back, I don't care what they did. I don't care how they left. I don't care what they've said about us after they left, if they did or whatever. Every time my wife and I embrace them, with open arms. We want them back. We want them back. Well, they went out from God. They've been, in, they, they've been living for themselves. I want them back. Why? Because I'm a shepherd. We want them back. What are we doing? We want them back. We want to receive them. Look, are we so holy? Are we so holy that we don't want to defile ourselves with people that don't live like us? I'm not saying be best friends with, I don't think that's the application. I, I think there, certainly there's, there's time where you, 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 your best and closest friends and people should be the people of God. Absolutely. They're your family. Absolutely. But can we not reach out to people? 
Are we so holy we won't defile ourselves? Or are we so unholy that the saved, unsaved people are back and people can't even tell a difference when they look at us? You know, there's a balance here. You don't have to be best friends with drug addicts and drunkards, but they need the gospel too. We gotta receive it. We gotta, we gotta be willing. I have loved for years seeing how the people of this church treat people that are obviously going through difficulty. We've had people come in off the street, and I will watch our people give them food, give them money, help them, encourage them. I love it. I think that pleases God when we receive the lost ones, when we respect the lost ones. But can I say thirdly, when we regard the lost ones. The spirit of the Pharisees, they did not view everyone as equally valuable. But I want to say, when I'm talking about regard the lost ones, that we need to view everybody as equally valuable. Every soul is valuable. Every soul is valuable. They did not view it that way, but look, if you would, at the parables here. It says in verse number four, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost? Why? Because that lost one is just as valuable as the other 99. Look, and Jesus further illustrates this in a very obvious way when he refers to money. Okay, let's say here. Let's say you have a $100 bill and I have a $100 bill. I'd like to have a $100 bill. Give me your, I'm just kidding. But uh, if we both have a $100 bill, my $100 bill is worth just as much as your $100 bill is. No matter if I'm living for God or not, no matter if I'm lost or unsaved, away from God, and so this lady has 10 coins and loses one. And so, she, of course, she searched for it. Why? Because that coin is literally worth the exact same amount, is of the same exact value as the other nine coins. What's, this, what's the thought there? Is that those that are away from God are still just as valuable as us. Their soul is still just as important to God as ours is. But if we begin to think anything different, we're entering into the spirit of the Pharisees. Where we're saying, no, 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 I'm more important to God because I'm in church and they're not. I'm more important to God because I'm saved and they're not. I'm more, I'm more important. Wow, that goes against let each esteem other better than themselves. That goes against the teaching of scripture there. But they were just as equally valuable. I heard a story about, it's a, I'm sure it's a joke, but I loved it, so I copied it down. I heard a story of a man who loved old books. I love books, and I love old books too. But this man loved old books. And so he went to a friend's house that he had known for a long time, and the friend told him that he had just thrown away a Bible. And he's like, why? okay, why would you throw away a Bible, first of all? But the, the guy said, well, it's been stored in my attic by my ancestors for generations, and I couldn't read it. Somebody named Guten something had printed it. And the guy said, hold on, not, not Gutenberg, right? And he said, no, that was it. In horror, the guy said, that Bible, the Gutenberg Bible, was one of the first Bibles ever printed. A copy just sold for $2 million. And the other guy said, well, I'm not impressed. He said, mine wouldn't have sold for anything, wouldn't even have sold for a dollar because some guy by the name of Martin Luther had scribbled all over it in German. Of course, Martin Luther, the beginning of the Reformation back in the 1500s, uh, you know, nailing the thesis to the door. Unbelievable, right? Books, books may be valuable. Jewelry has value, different values, right? Some jewelry is worth more than other jewelry. My rubber fake 
uh, you know, wedding band here is not worth as much as my wife for sure that actually has diamonds in it. Uh, and this is, this is not my real wedding ring, but it's one that I can't fit my real wedding ring on my finger anymore. So this is the fake one. But uh, certainly there's differences. Your houses are worth more. Cars are worth more. But that's not how it worked with souls. Jesus died for every soul. He didn't say this soul's more valuable. I'm not dying for this soul. I'm dying for this soul. No. And some religions teach that. There's a thing out there called Calvinism where it says Jesus only died for these people, not these people. Well, what's that saying? It's saying that God values these souls but not these. <clears throat> and that to me is an is a affront to God to say that. Unbelievable. When you begin to value people based upon what they can do for you, you have acquired the spirit of the Pharisees. You've acquired the spirit of the Pharisees. When you look down on people because they are not like you, you are acquiring the spirit of the Pharisees. We view people as valuable to God. Can I say how else really quickly here? How else do we avoid the spirit of the Pharisees? We don't just respect the lost ones and receive the lost ones and regard the lost ones. We recover the lost ones. We recover the lost ones. We get them back. We seek them. We go after them. We find them. Whether they be lost, away from God, uh, as a backslider, they were in church, but now they're not. Or whether they are unsaved, or they've never known Christ. In the parable, the shepherd was seeking the sheep. In the parable, the second parable, the lady was seeking the coin. In the third parable, the father waited on the porch looking for his son to come home. There, there was seeking being, being happening there. The Bible says in the same book that we're in, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus said, for the Son of Man has come. To seek and to save that which was lost. That's why he came to earth. To seek and to save. I want to ask you this morning. Who are the lost ones in your life? Who are the lost ones in your life? Are you looking for them? Have you spotted them? Who are the ones that you know that you know don't know Jesus Christ as Savior? Who are the ones in your life that you know used to be in church but they're away from God? Are we recovering them? Are we going after them? Are we saying, hey, let's get back to God. Let's get back to church. I'm glad when I was in high school, I got saved when I was six, but I got away from God for a long time. And I'm glad that the church that I spent my teenage years in, they were seeking me. They visited. They, they called. They wrote letters. They came after me. And I'm glad the church came after me. They recovered me from, from where I was. We were also told in the Bible to restore the lost ones. People come back to God, we set the bones, so to speak. We get things right. We want them to come back to God. What are we doing? How do we avoid the spirit of the Pharisees? Respect the lost ones. Receive the lost ones. Regard the lost ones as valuable to God. Recover them. Let's go seek to win them. And then lastly this morning, rejoice over the found ones. Rejoice over the found ones. We go after the lost ones. We, we, we view the lost ones as valuable we receive and welcome the lost ones. We, we, we uh, don't look down upon the lost ones. But when they get found, we rejoice. We rejoice. Look, if you would, at verse number seven again. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. There's seven billion people on the earth, but they throw a party over one. More than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. Verse 10, likewise I say unto you that there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. There's joy. Heaven rejoices when somebody gets saved. 
Heaven rejoices when the prodigal comes back through the doors of the church. Heaven rejoices when someone comes to the altar and says, God, I've been cold and I've been away from you, but I want to get back to being where I was. Heaven rejoices. Let's rejoice too. Let's rejoice too. My brother-in-law uh, in my family, uh, I remember uh, years ago when I was a freshman in Bible college, he was not saved. He was searching he was looking for answers. He got a book about cults, and he began to read about every religion. He said, I want to know what the truth is. He knew where I was. He knew where I stood. He knew what I believed, but he wanted to search it out himself, and he was looking, and he was searching. And by the way, if you have a diligent search for God, I believe you will find him, and he will find you. But he began to search, and I remember uh, I went to college, and, and uh, I got a phone call after a couple months of being in college, and I remember getting that phone call and answering it and hearing that my pastor and my youth pastor had gone over to his house, my brother-in-law's house, he wasn't my brother-in-law at the time, he was dating my sister, and he went over to, to his house and witnessed to him, and he basically told them, I've been looking for a long time. I've been looking, and this is it. I found it. I found it, and God found me. And that day, he trusted Christ as Savior. And I tell you what I was doing in my dorm room? I was jumping up and down with joy. I had a friend with me. You know what? He said, he, he heard that he'd gotten saved. He knew him too. He began jumping. We were rejoicing. I had somebody rejoicing with me. And we were just praising God. We were putting hands in the air. We were literally jumping up and down, rejoicing that a lost one became a found one. Someone that was unsaved now knows Christ. And then sometimes we hear in church, there was so-and-so got saved this week, and we're, what time's lunch? Is this almost done? Why are we not rejoicing when in heaven there's a party going on over somebody that gets saved, over somebody that comes back to God? If there's rejoicing in heaven, there should be rejoicing here too. Otherwise, we better be careful or the spirit of the Pharisees will creep into us. Oh, people are getting saved. People come back to God. That's nice. But that doesn't affect me. We better be careful. This morning, I want to ask you, is there an area where you have had the spirit of the Pharisees? Maybe you've, maybe you've looked down on other people because of their lost condition or being away from God, their backsliddenness. Uh, maybe you've, uh, have you received the lost ones? Have you been willing to go out of your way to be kind, to welcome people? Or have you stayed away? Are we regarding the lost? Are we viewing everybody as valuable to God? Are their soul just as valuable as ours is? Are we recovering and seeking the lost ones? And are we rejoicing when the lost ones become found ones? I wonder today also, Maybe the message for you is that there's somebody that you need to recover. There's somebody you know that's lost, but maybe there's somebody you know that used to sit in this church or used to sit in a different church, and they need recovering. They need somebody to reach out and say, hey, I'm not a Pharisee. I'm not judging you. I want you to know that God loves you and I love you, and I'd like to invite you back to church. I'd like to invite you to come back. Well, I haven't been in so long. It'll be embarrassing. No, no it won't. We're going to welcome you with open arms. We're going to love you for being there. It's going to be great. Let's not have the spirit of the Pharisees. Father, we ask today for help. God, as Christians, we can be so guilty of being the most judgmental people on the earth.